How about we give the Lord the biggest, rowdiest praise we have all day just for being so good. What a, what a, what a service tonight. I mean, absolutely amazing what the Lord's already done. Isn't it good to go to church with people who like to go to church? Sometimes I show up places and, and I look around and wonder, what are we actually doing here? You know, it seems like nobody wants to be there. Nobody's participating. And it's a blessing to go to church with people who love going to church. And by going to church, here's what I mean by being in His presence. That's what this is all about. Well, I have been across that speed bump now one, two, three, five times. And I'm going to give you all a little life hack. You ready? If you get up around 58, it's almost like it's not even there. Just took them. <laughs> now, you got to get your speed up. You know, 55 is prayer. There's an impact. But 58 is a sweet spot. So just do with that as you will. Get your Bible tonight. Go with me to Matthew <laughs> chapter 26. I say we just put a barricade in the road tomorrow night and funnel everybody into Calvary Baptist parking lot and just, you know, park them. Let them figure it out. They'll figure it out eventually. Matthew chapter 26. Stand up with me. And I want to read beginning in verse number 17. And we're going to read down through verse 20, then I'll pray and let you be seated. Are y'all ready for supper tonight? I don't mean what was over there. I mean what's in here. Y'all look like some supper-eating people. I'm going to tell you that right now. Matthew chapter 26, verse 17. Now the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare for thee to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to such a man, and say unto him, The Master saith, My time is at hand. And I will keep the Passover at thy house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had appointed them, and they made ready the Passover. When the even was come, he sat down with the twelve. Father, thank you for this precious book. It is the honor of my life to be able to open this word and expound on the truths within it. Give us clarity of thought. May I not hang up anywhere. You don't want us hung up. May we move swiftly yet effectively through the text. And God, may you preach a hundred 400 other messages while I preach one. I thank you and I'll praise you. And it's in Christ's beautiful name I pray. And everybody that's in love with Jesus said, Amen. You can be seated. We began last night with the precedent that supper in the Bible speaks of fellowship. And every time in the Bible when you see people gathering around the supper table, there is an element of fellowship. It is clearly uh, displayed all throughout the Word of God. Where there is supper, there is fellowship. And I, I thought about that today. I never thought about this, but, you know, let me just give you a little, uh, a, a little lesson right here. If you've not been saved very long, 
And somebody in this church comes up to you and says, we need to get together and fellowship. They mean we need to go eat somewhere. That's what they mean. You will find that walking with Jesus does include walking in a lot of restaurants. Somebody say amen. And so that, that kind of has stuck through the ages. That supper is a picture and it always speaks of fellowship. Now, I want you to see this scene that we have read tonight. As Jesus gathered around the Passover supper table, He is with the twelve disciples. And what is He doing at the Passover table? He is fellowshipping with His disciples. They are sharing the Passover supper. And as they share this supper, they are fellowshipping around the Passover table. Now, if you were to read in the Old Testament, you would find that the Passover meal was constituted of three courses. It began with the roasted lamb. That is, the lamb whose blood was poured out It was applied to the doorpost and the sides of the door. It was that blood that would deliver them out of the land of Egypt. That lamb was then roasted. It was placed on the table. And from the very first Passover until this occasion in Matthew 26, the centerpiece of the Passover table was the roasted lamb. There was a second course that was the bitter herbs of Egypt. They ate garlic and they ate onions. And the herbs were a crucial part of that Passover meal. There was a third course of this meal and that was the unleavened bread. Now I want you to stay with me tonight. Every year, For 1,500 years, the Jewish families would sit around the Passover table and they would fellowship around those three courses. This is how that would go. The head of the house, whether it was the leader of that group or whether it was the father in that family, the head of that house would take that Passover meal, and he would explain every year, every course on the table. Let's say that we're looking into a Jewish family, and we're looking in on their dining room. As they sit around that table, that father would take that roasted lamb, and he would say, now, family, this roasted lamb is a reminder to us that a lamb's blood was shed to get us out of Egypt. But it is a reminder that one day a lamb will come. Hey, glory. Whose blood will be shed to pay the price for all of our sin. 1,500 years, every Jewish family, that little speech was given. That father would then take those herbs, those onions, that garlic, and he would say, Now, family, these bitter herbs, they remind us of the bitter years of bondage that we spent in slavery down in Egypt. Lord, I feel like preaching tonight. He didn't say that. I said that. Amen. 
He'd say, when we were in Egypt, we didn't get up unless Pharaoh said get up. We didn't lay down unless Pharaoh said lay down. He stripped us of our dignity. They stripped us of our independence. They stripped us of everything that identified us as children of God. They were bitter years, and this is what we ate, the bitter taste of these herbs in those bitter years. But then that father would say, but with every bite of these bitter herbs, we are reminded that one day a liberator will come. And He'll not deliver us from the bondage of slavery, but that liberator will deliver us from the bondage of sin. He would then take that unleavened bread and He would teach that family that leaven is a type of sin. And He'd say, you know, we've swept the house all week long and uh, we have labored hard to make sure there's no leaven in our home because that leaven is a picture of sin. God's not pleased with our sin. We have to deal with our sin. We have to give account for our sin. That's what he would say. We have to keep a record and a ledger of our sin. And just like we sweep the home of the living, we must sweep our heart of our sin. Then he would say, but with every bite of this bread, we're reminded that one day a Savior will come who will deliver us from the leaven of sin. We are hopeful with every bite of this unleavened bread. For 1,500 years, this took place in every Jewish family, in every Jewish home. For those many years, they would sit around that table and they would partake and they would be reminded that a lamb is coming, that a liberator is coming, that one day God will deal with our leaven once and for all. And they would fellowship around the Passover table and the hope that they had in a coming Savior. Now, can you imagine? Hallelujah. When Jesus was born, He he was born into a Jewish family. And for 33 years, Jesus sat at the Passover table. Can you imagine His earthly father, Joseph, as they're sitting at that Passover table? And Joseph says, now kids, this lamb reminds us that a lamb is coming. And Jesus sitting in a high chair at the end of the table. Joseph would say, glory. Joseph would say, these herbs are bitter, but God's going to send a liberator to deliver us from the slavery of sin. And Jesus is at the table. As Joseph would talk about the living and the sin problem of mankind, sitting at that table was the Son of God who would deal with man's sin forever. In 33 years, Jesus sat at the table and observed the Passover meal. For 33 years, Jesus would participate in the Passover and the observance of each of those courses. But can you imagine on this night, no one there knew, hallelujah, glory to God, no one there knew that this was the last Passover that God 
would ever require. Because tomorrow, somebody help me have church tonight. Tomorrow, the Lamb of God would lay down His life. Tomorrow, the liberator of all mankind would sign heaven's emancipation proclamation and deliver us from the slavery of sin. (laughs) Tomorrow, in the righteous blood of Christ that was shed in our place, He would eliminate and eradicate the leaven of our life for once and for all dealing with the sin of this world. No one at that table understood that this was the last Passover. I want you to hear me tonight. This was the last lamb that God would ever require to be sacrificed. This was the last time that herbs and garlic and onions were demanded to be placed on the table. This was the last time that unleavened bread must be made meticulously to satisfy God because Jesus, He was the fulfillment of everything on the Passover table. For 1,500 years, they have fellowshiped around that table. And for 1,500 years, they have observed that celebration with hope that He is coming. But in Matthew 26, He's not coming. He's here. He's not on His way. He has shown up. And I want you to watch what happens at this supper table. A fellowship. The last, We call it the Last Supper, but it ought to be called the Last Passover. Because it's not the Last Supper. As a matter of fact, it was the First Supper. But it was the Last Passover. Now, Jesus fulfills the Passover. He is the Lamb. Somebody holler, Amen. He is the Liberator. Somebody shout, Glory. He will deal with our leaven. He is the fulfillment of the prophecy of the bread. It is my belief, if you read the Gospels, that He then reveals that He would be betrayed. Judas, if you read it through all the synoptic Gospels and run the timeline, Judas then goes out, gets up, leaves the room, goes and betrays him. And as Judas leaves, oh, hallelujah, Jesus pushes back from the table. And he says this, Just as I have fulfilled the Passover, I will now found the Lord's Supper. And here's what he does. Now, what does the supper table speak of? Fellowship. Here's what he does. He, in this text, he is changing the menu. In this text, he is changing up what they have served and what they have had for 1,500 years. And he is saying to them, he is saying to them, We no longer come to the table and fellowship around the hope that a lamb is coming. We no longer fellowship around the hope that a liberator is coming. We no longer fellowship around the hope that one day out there somewhere our living will be eradicated. But he said, I'm changing the menu tonight and now we are fellowshipping around the hope that he has come. He is here. It is finished. 
And this is the constitution of the Lord's Supper. Now, can I say something to you? I love the Lord's Supper. I do. And I grew up a church kid, and I'll be honest with you, we lived next door to the church most of my life, and I, as a child, I have broke in the fellowship hall and uh, bootlegged that Welch's grape juice that was reserved for communion. But I love the Lord's Supper, and here's why. If you've ever been where they've got the little communion table, what does it say on the front of the table? This do in remembrance of me. Now look here, when we come around the Lord's table, we are fellowshipping around hope. It is not hope going forward. It is hope going backwards. In the Old Testament, their hope was out yonder. But thank God in the New Testament, our hope is back there. Our hope is at Calvary where He died for us. And he changes the menu. This is what he does. He pushes away those courses of the Lord's, of the Passover meal. And he reaches up on that table. I'm telling you now, if you can get a hold of this, it will help you. He reaches up on that table. Well, it's in Matthew 26, and you're probably there. Look in verse number uh, 26. Matthew 26, 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it, and break it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Now, I want you to look at me right here. you got to get this. He reaches up on that Passover table, and he takes that loaf of unleavened bread. Now, stay with me. For 1,500 years, that bread had been a burden. For 1,500 years, that bread spoke of their sin of their guilt, of how wicked they were. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was a time when they would have to sweep under the cabinets, sweep behind the canisters, get behind every little nook and cranny in every corner, and get all of the leaven out of the house because they were responsible to keep track of their own sin. They had to give an account of every spot of sin in their life. But Jesus takes the unleavened bread that has been a burden for 1,500 years and He says, I'm going to take this out of where it has been and I'm going to take it where we're going. He said to them, this bread is my body. For 1,500 years, that bread had been their sin. Y'all hearing me tonight? For 1,500 years, they had been responsible for ledgering their sin, keeping an account of their sin, having to record every lie, having to repent of every dirty thought, having to give an account of every inappropriate action. That bread was a picture of their sin. But Jesus said in the New Testament, this bread is not a picture of your sin. It is a picture of my sinlessness. And they are now no longer fellowshipping. Or, glory to God. They are no longer fellowshipping around how bad they are. But now we are fellowshipping around how good He is. I did not come here tonight under the guilt of my sin debt. 
I did not come here tonight under the burden of my flawed character. I did not come here tonight carrying a heavy load of every inappropriate act and thought and deed that I've committed. But I walked in these doors tonight forgiven and cleansed and the records clean in heaven. Our fellowship is not around our sin. Our fellowship is around His sinlessness. You see that tonight? Y'all ever been around somebody that every time they testify, they get to talking about their old life of sin? And and about halfway through it, you kind of got the idea they missed it. (laughs) You know, it's almost like they're getting up a group, you know, go do something. If your Christian life is centered around how bad you are and how messed up you were. You've missed it all together. We didn't come tonight fellowship about how messed up we are. We didn't come tonight to get up and talk about how wicked we are. But thank God our fellowship is in the fact that He is sinless and He died in our place. Can I show you all something tonight? Let me check my time. Let me, can I show you something tonight? He said, this bread is my body. Now, that bread was unleavened. Leaven's a type of sin. There was no leaven in that bread. And you better shout glory right here. There was no sin in the person and the body of Jesus Christ. You and I have inherited sin. He did not have inherited sin. He was the Son of God. His blood was spotless blood. As a matter of fact, Jesus not only did not sin, Jesus could not have sinned. The Bible says there is no shadow of darkness within Him. There is not even the possibility of Him doing wrong. He is, he is pure. He is impeccable. He was perfect, untainted, and untouched by sin. That, that bread spoke of his sinless body. But watch this. When they would bake that bread, they would knead it out, roll it out. They would then place it on a grate, a steel grate, an iron grate that would be placed above. And as they laid that bread, that loaf kneaded out on that grate, Above those hot coals, just like grill marks on a steak or a burger or a hot dog, depending on where your budget is. Help me, somebody. Just like those grill marks on what we put on the grill, that bread, when lifted from the fire, had stripes on the bread. Jesus picks up the striped bread and he says, this is my body. Now, nobody sitting at the table knew what that meant. But Isaiah did, because Isaiah said it would be by his stripes that we are healed. And before the sun would set tomorrow, the Roman soldier would stripe his body. With the cat of nine tails, he would stripe the back of the Savior. He would stripe the legs of the Savior. He would stripe the chest and the arms of the Savior. He was striped in his body. Brother Robbie, that bread, though it was unleavened, you know leaven's what makes it rise in the oven, but even though it was unleavened, 
there would be pockets of air in that dough. You know what air does when it gets hot? It expands. And though it was unleavened, those pockets of air would begin to expand on that grate and on those coals. And the cook would have a sharp instrument. And the cook would take that sharp instrument. And as those bubbles would appear in the bread, the cook would pierce that bread. As Jesus lifts it from the table and says, this is my body. It was striped and it was pierced. Just as his body tomorrow would be pierced. As the thorns would pierce his scalp and his brow. As the spear would pierce his side. As the nails would pierce his hands and feet. In his body he was pierced. This bread, the Bible tells us in our verse 26, that Jesus then blessed it and broke it. And as he broke it, he broke it. And he distributed it to the disciples. Somebody help me right here. Though not a bone in his body was broken, his body was broken. Isaiah said he would be irrecognizable as a human being. If Mary had not been there for the entirety of the process, she would not have known that that was her own son. The Bible tells us that they buffeted him. The word buffeted is the Greek word hoopohaziah. It means to take the palms of the fist and to bash and beat around the eyes until they are black and blue. They took their hands and ripped his beard from his face. They cleared their throat and they spit in his face. With open hands, they smacked him. With closed fists, they punched him. The cat of nine tails ripped the flesh and the muscle and the sinew from his body. The cold night air led into his rib cage. His exposed organs intensified by the damp night air and the pain that ran through his broken body. But I've come to Lake Park to tell somebody tonight, he suffered it all because he loved you and he loved me. That's why he died on Calvary. I know tonight there was a spiritual transaction that took place on Golgotha that you and I can't even begin to look into. The sin of all mankind. Stay with me. What about what about the sin of a Saddam Hussein? The twisted, maniacal, demon-possessed mind of a man like that. Every sin of Saddam Hussein was placed on the back of the Lord Jesus Christ. What about a, what about a Jeffrey Dahmer? So twisted. So bizarre in his logic. That every sin of a Jeffrey Dahmer was placed on the back of the Lord Jesus Christ. And every heinous, wicked sin that you can imagine between here and there and us was placed on his back. And there was a spiritual transaction between him and the Father in those hours of darkness that you and I will never, ever begin to understand. But we can look at his broken body. We can look at his striped body. We can look at his beaten body. We can look at his pierced body and say, Thank you, Jesus, for the pain and the suffering you endured in your body. There is a second course that he adds to this meal. The Bible says in verse number 27, 
that he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament. Now, he brings the bread out of the Old Covenant into the New Covenant. He transitions it from a picture of their sin to a picture of his sinlessness. Then he takes that cup and that fruit of the vine and he says to them, this is symbolic of my blood. And then he says to them in words that change theology's direction forever, he says, this is my blood of the New Testament, of the New Covenant, of the New Arrangement, of the New Agreement. And I'm going to tell you why that matters. Everybody all right tonight? You didn't come for a little of my daily bread devotional, did you? Because we ain't doing that. Here's why that matters. Because when the Passover was instituted, I think it's Deuteronomy 13, when the Passover was instituted, God told Moses very specifically, do not let anyone who is not a Jew participate in the Passover. Y'all hear me tonight? Don't let a sojourner come to the Passover table. Don't let a foreigner, don't let a stranger. If you own any slaves of other uh, nationalities, do not let them come to the Passover table. No one can come to this table unless they have come through the bloodline of Abraham. Unless they are come through the gene pool of Isaac, they are not allowed at this table. As a matter of fact, they check the cards at the door. What's your pedigree? What tribe are you from? Who's your daddy? Somebody help me right there. I've got to know that you belong here. This isn't for anybody. This isn't for everybody. This is for people who have been covered under the old covenant. They're the only ones that can sit at the Passover table of fellowship. But Jesus fulfilled the Passover. And He took that wine. He took that fruit of the vine. And He said, this is my blood. And this is the new covenant. Here's what He said. The old covenant said, keep out. The new covenant says, y'all come on. The old covenant said... You're not invited here. You can't eat here. You're not welcome here. You don't have the right birthright to come eat here. But the new covenant says, Come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. As a matter of fact, Jesus said uh, that He prepared a great supper and the first crowd didn't want to come. They didn't appreciate what He'd made. So He said, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. And said, if they tell you we don't have clothes to wear to a party like that, you tell them, come on, we got to party and we got to close. We'll give them a robe at the door. See, the old... Covenant supper of Passover was very exclusive. But the new covenant, (laughs) it is for whosoever will. I couldn't, hey, listen to me. I could never sit properly at the Passover table. That wasn't for me. But there's nobody alive 
that does not have a seat at this new table if they want to come and have some supper. <laughs> now, I brought notes because I'm 44 now, and I don't do weddings without names on my paper, and I don't sing songs without lyrics, and I don't go to the pulpit without notes just in case. Y'all help me right there. And I want you to understand something tonight, that Jesus changed what was on the table. And here's what he did. He changed their fellowship. And Brother Robbie, this is the whole message. He said, when we come to fellowship, this is what we fellowship about. We fellowship about his body and his blood. Now, can I preach a minute tonight? Can I preach a minute tonight? There's a lot of churches. Now, I'm going to whether you want me to or not. I was just seeing if y'all was going to come with me. But there's a lot of churches in this hour that their fellowship is built around everything but the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have churches, and, and I, I don't know this area well, but I know it well enough to take a guess. We have churches in probably in this area that's nothing more than a poor man's country club. And, and they go there because of business contacts. They go there because of who they might get to make a deal with. They go there because of who might help them out. Because of who might just bolster their career and bump them down the road financially. But I did not come tonight to get a loan. I did not come tonight to get a business partner. I came tonight because of the broken body and the poured out blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, bless His name. Our fellowship is not around our economical class. Our fellowship is not around our tax bracket. Our fellowship is not around our clothing and what logo we have on what. Our fellowship is not about what you drove and what I drove. Our fellowship is around Jesus. We don't fellowship. Our fellowship tonight is not about who we cheer for. Now, I'm saved. I'm saved, born again, full of the Holy Ghost. I'm a Jordan Bulldog. Amen. But that's not where our fellowship is. Our fellowship is in Jesus. Our fellowship's not in our hobbies. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to help you tonight. We don't fellowship together because I like to do the same things you like to do. Our fellowship is in Christ. And church, hear me out. If our fellowship ever becomes about anything but Him, we may be having supper, but we're not fellowshipping with the Lord. I'm going to go on and preach tonight. we got a lot of churches want to fellowship around political statements. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I, there's some of y'all, if I was ripping Biden tonight, you'd be up in the aisle dancing. If I was telling you how great Trump was, you'd be up in the aisle dancing. If I was ripping Trump, some of you'd be up clapping. If I was bragging on Biden, some of you'd be having a spell. But I got news for you. My fellowship is not about who's in the White House. I could give a rip about the governmental powers that be. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. This is not a political outfit. This is a blood Born again outfit. <laughs> that made some of you mad. And here's what I got to say. More of that good cube steak for us tomorrow night. Amen. It's truth, ain't it? 
We can get hung up on everything in the world, and our friendships and our relationships are built around who we cheer for, what we drive, what we do in our off time, what we do for a living, who we voted for. And honey, the only, hey, the only thing worth getting together about is the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. Now watch this. <laughs> I, I'm done. Somebody said, yep. <laughs> I'm done. But I want you to notice something. <laughs> Ooh. The Passover was a family meal. It was a, national, it was a national ceremony, but it was to be observed not in a big fairground. It was to be observed in the dining rooms of Jewish families. This was a family meal. And Jesus chose to observe the Passover with these 11. I held up four fingers for 11. Somebody help me right there. (laughs) 11. (laughs) 11 disciples. Watch. He chose to go to that Passover celebration sit at that table not with Mary and his brothers and his earthly sister he chose to sit at that table with the 11 leftover disciples John 13 1 one of my most favorite verses in all the Bible said that he loved them unto the end he knew everything about every one of them sitting at that table did you know at this table James and John, Jesus says, hey, I'm about to go to Calvary. And they're in Jerusalem. They're going to scourge me. They're going to beat me. They're going to crucify me. They're going to kill me. He said it that plain. And James and John said, oh, man, I hate to hear about that. But listen, anyway, when you get your kingdom started, can we, you know, kind of vice president, you know, president kind of do? (laughs) That's in your Bible. (laughs) How many of you also hang out with clueless Christians? Let me see you. <laughs> at this table, at this table, at this table, there was broken, messed up people in every seat. <laughs> Thomas was so full of doubt that when he came and they said, after the crucifixion, they said the Lord was here. And here's what Thomas said. You're talking about ugly, spiteful words. Thomas said, unless I see the print of the nail, unless I, watch, thrust my hand in his side, and unless I put my fingers in the print of the nail, I won't believe it. Now, that's, that's harsh things. It's one thing to say I believe it when I see it. It's another thing to say I, I'm going to stick my hand where that spear went, and when that happens, I'll believe it. Simon Peter's at this table. He's still got a good cussing fit left in him. Some of y'all look like you too not forgot all them words. <laughs> Every man at that table is broken and messed up. <laughs> but he chose to sit at the supper table with them and fellowship with them. And here's why because they weren't on the table, he was. And by the way, we ought not be too surprised that he fellowshiped with broken people. Because he's got a long track record of sitting at the table with messed up people. 
Did you know that the first account of supper in your Bible is Abraham and Sarah sitting in their tent. The Lord showed up, said, I'm going to give you a boy. And they laughed at the promises of God. (laughs) But he sat at their table and ate their supper and fellowship with doubters who laughed at his promises. You walk through the Word of God. I found a man guilty of adultery, murder, deceit, lying, cover up, and yet the Lord Jesus said, I'm going to sit down and have supper with you, and I'm going to do it in the presence of your enemies. David, David, I'm going to sit down at the table with you, and the whole time we're sitting there, your enemies are going to be saying how we can't sit there. But we're going to sit there and enjoy fellowship in the presence of your enemies. You come to the New Testament, the Maus Road disciples are walking back home, and they are doubting, and they are distraught, and they say He wasn't who He said He was. It never was what we thought it was going to be. Jesus begins to walk with them. He goes all the way to their house. And does anybody remember what happened when they recognized Him? It was in the breaking of the bread, sitting at the table. They recognized in that fellowship, this is the Lord, and He shares the table with messed up people. And that ought to make you real happy tonight. Because Revelation chapter 3, verse number 20. He's still knocking on the door. And he said, if any man will open up and let me in, I will come in unto him and I will sit down and what and what and sup with him. He shares the table of fellowship with messed up people. But if you're going to come to the table, You have to come around his broken body and his poured out blood. Can I ask you a question? They're coming to do the music tonight for invitation. Come on. Let me ask you a question. Listen to me me carefully. When's the last time you got in his presence and said, Lord, I don't want to ask you for one thing. I don't want to give you one request. I just want to bow before you and say thank you for your broken body. Thank you for every beleaguered, bloody step that went up Calvary's hill. When's the last time you thanked Him for His precious blood that washes away every stain and every sin? When you begin to do that, listen to me, when you begin to do that, He will begin to set the table of fellowship. (laughs) He'll pull up a chair. And he'll sit down and say, I have something. There's nothing like fellowshipping with him. You can do that in the hospital room. You can do that on the side of a lonely bed. You can do that on the tailgate of your truck. You can do that in a cubicle. You can do that on the job site. You can do that at school. He'll spread the table. And he'll sit down and he'll fellowship and he'll sup with you. I want you to stand with me all over this building. While you stand, just keep moving. Come on, stand. Just keep moving. Let's get in this altar tonight. Lord, we're not going to ask you for anything. I'm not going to tell you to do anything. I'm not even going to bring a request. I'm just going to come sit at the table. Say thank you for your broken body. Thank you for your poured out blood. It is the centerpiece of our fellowship. (laughs) Hallelujah. Preacher, you come on.
bow your heads with us just for a moment. Hey, why don't you come while it's fresh? Find a place around the altar. Let's not wait till we get to the house. Wait till somebody cuts us off on the way home. Somebody does this side or the other. Let's write while it's fresh. God's moving. Won't you come down here and thank him for what he done for you? Open up that line of fellowship. Invite him to come into your communion. Too many of us are so busy. We talk to everybody else in the world. Spend hours on the phone talking to our friends all day long. Give him a minute or two at a table before we eat. Let's fellowship with him for a moment. I wonder tonight, having heard all over the Passover, all over what Jesus did for us, I wonder if there's somebody in this building tonight. Lord's been dealing with your heart. You've been under a conviction maybe over the last few days being at our church and being in these services. I wonder if you'd be honest with me tonight and say, Preacher, I know about Jesus. Heard the stories in the Bible. Heard preachers preach. Heard about the cross. I have one in my jewelry box. I have one on my wall in a painting. But preacher tonight, there's never been a time in my life where I personally, alone, trusted Christ as my Savior. That's you tonight. I want you to do me a favor. Nobody looking around. I want you to just lift your hand right up so we'll know how to end the service. Preacher, pray for me. I don't know where I'd spend eternity if I was to die. Is there anybody like that in here tonight? Just lift your hand right up where we can see it. All right. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. God, I thank you for another wonderful service, another wonderful message, Lord, on fellowship. God, I thank you, Lord, for our walk back into the Old Testament. Lord, I thank you that you allowed us to sit around the table at the Passover. Lord, see how it was conducted. But, Lord, more importantly, I I, I thank you for allowing us to see again very clearly what it was a picture of and what would happen at that cross. God, I thank you for bringing us into a new testament, a new covenant. Lord, where it was no longer about us, but God, it was about you. It was about your body. It was about your blood. Lord, I thank you for the hope that we have, Lord, in fellowship, Lord, with you. I thank you for the hope that we have as we gather together on a Sunday morning, on a Sunday night, on a Monday night and a Tuesday night. Lord, as we gather together corporately in fellowship, Lord, we do it around you and your finished work. God, we love you tonight. God, I thank you, Lord, for meeting with us. Lord, I pray that every person in the building would take the opportunity to go home, find somewhere 
a closet, a bedside, a chair. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that they would restore that fellowship. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name they'd spend some time tonight thanking you for the blood, thanking you for that broken body. Lord, we love you tonight. 